2017. Welcome to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable, brought to you this week by the Irish Rover Station House. I'm Bill Furman. I'll be your host tonight, along with my partner, Jim Chet Chesko. And, hey, Chet, we covered the NFL draft in great detail over the last month. Were you surprised at all by the outcome? Well, hey, Bill, there's always lots of surprises at draft time. Three quarterbacks going in the top ten, that ridiculous trade by the Bears to move up one spot. The Eagles taking the guy in round two who might not get on the field this year. Maybe Sam Hinkie made that pick. I don't know. Uh, We'll cover it all tonight, though, that's for sure. Well, you're right. Our first guest tonight is going to talk to some Eagles draft. We're also going to talk some Phillies. We're going to talk some Sixers, all things Philly sports. So making his first visit to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable, one of my very favorite sports writers from the Delaware County Daily Times, Jack McCaffrey. Jack, welcome to the show. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Hi, Chad. Hey, Jack. Let's get right to it, man. I I read read your piece in the Delco Times on Sunday, and I heard you on WIP with Angelo Monday morning. And you're not crazy about what the Eagles did in the draft. I believe you gave it a C. You're a tougher grader than my 10th grade English teacher. Explain your thinking with that C grade. They really didn't help themselves at all immediately. The first round pick seems like a nice enough fella. Derek Barnett uh, tried to pin Howie Roseman, tried to pin Doug Peterson down to name him a starter. They were reluctant to do that. So they had the 14th pick in the draft, and they were more likely to tout the fact that he's only 20 years old and you know, he had a hamstring problem it, 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 during the tryout process, and you know they, they've got plenty of, of, of help along the line. They mentioned depth. Now, obviously, they love the guy, but when you're the 14th pick in the draft, you should be, you should be an absolute no-brainer starter. They go to the second round, they take a guy with crutches. Now, you, have to, you really have to be something wrong with you to pick a guy who's injured. I don't understand that at all. Maybe the last pick in the draft or something, you might take a shot at something like that. But you, by the time they got around to take a Sidney Jones, uh, everybody had p- passed on him uh, at least once and, and some teams twice. And there was, there was still two days of drafting to go. There were, there were a million players you can take without taking a guy who's got an Achilles tear. You don't know how that's going to repair. It may repair well. It may not. Do I need to take a 50-50 chance on this guy being a player or not? When I got when I got a, a pretty high second round draft choice, you you wait a long time to get second round draft. They're valuable things to have. You take a guy that you're telling me, telling me is a minimum of sitting out six games next year. I'll tell you what, guys, I'll take the over on him sitting out six games. And if, even if he does miss six games, that'll be without training camp, without mini camp, without OTA, without preseason. He won't be anywhere near able to help them. So now we go first pick. He may, may or not, may not start. Second pick, he's not starting. Third, what are they doing? A third pick. They picked a cornerback because the cornerback that they picked was the second pick. He's not ready. So now they've gone three. <laughs> now they've gone three picks, and they've got they've given me one cornerback. I'm exaggerating, of course. Derek Barnett very well may be a great player, but they're now under a third pick, and they're still recovering from what they've done in the first two picks without getting themselves a bona fide sure shot starter. After that, you want to argue with me, you don't want to argue with me, I don't care. Anything that happens on the third day, as I put on my column, that's just the NFL showing off. If you get right, if you guess right in, on, on Saturday, good for you. But you know what? Everybody else is guessing right on Saturday, too, or trying to guess right. But I'm, I'm, I just don't have the energy to debate over who they got on the Saturday draft. It's just not it's, – it, it, it's, it's a complete crapshoot, and they may have done well, and they may not have done well, but – I was very, very, very disappointed with the second-round pick. Uh, mildly, I guess, underwhelmed by the first-round pick. 
and, and, and found the third pick comical because of what they did with the second pick. So that, that's where I came wow. That's where I came down in the draft. So anybody <laughs> went in. You know, I, I, I wouldn't draft an injured player. I wouldn't draft an injured player in basketball, in baseball, or anything. And you know what? I can be proven wrong one, uh, occasionally. I've, I've been proven wrong before. The, the, where I was proven wrong, you want to know where I was proven wrong? Call Hamels. I wouldn't have drafted Carl uh-huh. Hamels with a, with a pistol to my head. Turned out he, he was a great player and won a World Series MVP. So, you know, sometimes it works out when you draft an injured player. Most times, but as a matter of policy, if you keep it as a matter of policy, I'm not going to draft injured players. You're going to win more often than you're going to lose. Anyway. Yeah, on that, that note, Jack, I, I saw your – I saw your tweet about the Birds' second-round pick. I believe it was, of course the Eagles can be patient with Sidney Jones. Cripes, they were NFL champs just 57 years ago, still basking in the glow. That's good stuff. Yeah, yeah well, I'm a so, wise guy. Sometimes I go overboard. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a show business. Would you want you them know, to have gone offense in the first round? Would you want, want an offensive yeah, weapon, another yeah, weapon for absolutely, Wentz? Absolutely, absolutely. I would have, and not because he has a name that sounds like mine, but Christian McCaffrey sound was just a guy that you talk about was tailor made for their situation here. All, all those years they traded up, traded down. They they didn't see where the, the draft winds were blowing. They should have drafted to get up and get him. And he, you imagine him and Wentz as a one-two combination. Now. You can you can talk to me about the future a little bit. You can say, wait a minute, we got McCaffrey, we got Wentz. Give us a little breathing room here, and and, and they'd be entitled to it. But they they really needed to give Wentz after they drafted. They spent all those draft picks to get him. They needed to give him somebody to grow with, and that's not Alshon Jeffrey. That's not Tory Smith. Jeffrey on a one year deal. Uh, Smith, I think, is done after uh, eighteen. It's like these guys are in and out. They're temp employees. They're here today, gone tomorrow. They're not going to grow with Wentz. They're not even. They don't even. I mean, obviously they're going to try to win, but they're they're they're, they're not looking to grow to be an Eagles program. They're looking to get a quick hit, and make a few bucks. That's not what the Eagles need. They do not need quick fixes to uh, to help Carson Wentz. They need long term support and growth, and they didn't get that. And they really don't have a running back to speak of. It's 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 almost amazing, and it's amazing how they did that, in spite of whatever Doug Peterson might have. Listen, Doug Peterson's an offensive coach. He's a quarterback. He's a play caller. It, he, I, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but you can't tell me that it was his decision to go defense on the first three picks. It, it, it was almost it was almost an insult to the head coach, is the way I saw it. Well, and Jack, that leads me right where I wanted to go and take you back another day to your uh, article that you wrote. And we, we posted it actually on our website, and it Thank has gotten you. a lot of attention. And uh, you and a couple other of the locals actually commented or wrote about this, uh, that Doug Peterson uh, seems to be a little bit insignificant in the uh, Flyers or Flyers Sixers. Nope, wrong sport. Uh-huh. Eagles front uh-huh. office. Uh, yeah. What's your, what's your thoughts? Absolutely, exactly what my thoughts were. And it, if you had any suspicions about it, you, uh, you, you, they were they, they were overwhelmed by what you saw at this week. Again, I'll give you, they just drafted three defensive players, whether he liked it or not. And the way that they they presented their draft um, um, perspective was Howie Roseman ran the show. Some guy named Joe Douglas who came out of nowhere, I'm exaggerating. So all of a sudden he's there. He's the number two guy. He can say whatever he wants. Doug Peterson was made to stand kind of off to the side of him like some inanimate object. Like there, like, there's the head coach over there. Pick, hello, hello, head coach, what do you think? Now, he was available for questioning, but, boy, they rushed him off as soon as he, he made one or two questions. And it was funny because some people tried to pressure him into admitting that he would rather have had an offensive player. And he started yeah. – I, I get the sense that he started to go down that road, and, oh, boy, did they reel him in. And the, the, when the, day, the second day, when they brought in Derek Barnett to introduce him to the press, they, they didn't let Doug Peterson answer a question at all, and they rushed him out of the room before anybody could grab him. It was comical. He is absolutely a, a guy that, that, that is, is so insignificant in the organization. Now, there's different ways to do it. I mean, some organizations are head coach dominant. Some coach organizations aren't. But you go back to the Buddy Ryans, even the Andy Reeds. you imagine pushing Andy Reid around like that? 
telling Andy Reid that you'll stand over there while we talk? No. <laughs> yeah, not even Chip Kelly. Nobody. It, 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 you, you, you don't like to talk about other coaches, but there's a, there were a couple coaches. I mean, there were a couple coaches that got the Doug Peterson treatment over the years. Rich Kotite was probably one. They, 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 you could tell that, that they were running the operation, whether he liked it or not. Yeah, so I, I, you could probably give me five examples of, of organizations where that's the way it's done, and they, they've been very successful. But, but um, I, and I don't, I'm not saying this won't be successful. I'm just saying it is what it is. And they definitely made him – they definitely marginalized Doug Peterson by the way they behaved in the draft. And they made now, let me ask you, this is a follow-up uh, before we get on talking some fills and Sixers. Uh, and we've asked, I've asked pretty much every football analyst that we've had on here with us throughout uh, – since the end of the season. Was the 7-9 and nine, 2016 Eagles an overachieving bunch or an underachieving bunch by missing the playoffs or overachieving because they had so many holes in the roster and a rookie quarterback? I go under. Uh, You know what? You know me. I'm pretty opinionated. Can I just say about where they about where they should have been? To me, they had the fourth number four quarterback in a four team division. Right, I mean, he's at last year at least. Wentz was behind Manning, Cousins, and Prescott, so he was the fourth quarterback, the fourth best quarterback in the division. Uh, they had a strong start. They had some injury problems, um, some growth. First year coach. Uh, you want to argue with me? You want to say they should have gone eight and eight and something like that? Maybe they, they maybe they were a hair behind where they should have been. But hey, it's, it's, to me, that's about where they should have been. You know, you probably go back and I, as a columnist, maybe I did predict them to go nine and seven, so I'm a game or two behind. So, but I, I wasn't, I wasn't stunned that that's where they finished. I didn't expect them to go two and fourteen. I didn't expect them to go fourteen and two. I mean, they're around the five hundred-ish area. About where I, that's about where I had them. Jack, we're going to turn our attention to the Phillies, but before you, mm-hmm. before we do that, because you mentioned Andy Reid, and I also want to go back to another tweet that you had, uh, what you said about Reid's uh, Chiefs taking quarterback Patrick Mahomes. As you put it, Mahomes will spend the rest of his career not being put by his head coach in the best position to make plays. You are a wise guy, man. <laughs> Obviously, I was a little flipped. Uh, but listen, hey, come on. <laughs> That's what Andy Reid says. Every time there's a game, is, uh, you know, we call yep. him on him a little bit. I'm a wise guy. Oh, Again, yeah. Don't take it, don't yep. take it, don't take it literally. Just a little zinger. That's some fun. I got you. Yeah. All right, the Phillies. The Phillies clearly in a rebuilding mode now, having played well in spurts this season. They are 12-13 and 13 as we speak. Some bright spots, some areas of concern. Where are we with the Phillies right now? Are they on the right path, you think? Yes, they're absolutely on the right path. They're young pitching. They get so many good young arms. And that's not a lot of organizations that can dip into the, dip into the system and come up with a guy like Pavetta on, on a short notice like that, can come up with an Eflin on a short notice like that. Pitchers like you know, Icoff, he's got all the talent in the world. Rodriguez has all the talent in the world. Now, Alex, he might be a flip at the uh, a flip at the trade deadline type of guy. He's a pretty good pitcher. And then you go into even into the minor leagues, and you're still talking about Jake Thompson down there. Still talking about Ben Lively. There's very few times in Philly's history where you can look at that that's level of young arm, and to, to have that. And, and now you've got to fill in around it. So the question, the question you asked was, are they on the right track? The pit starts with the pitching, then it starts with some other positions. The, the top of the order has been spectacular. They've got no power. They've got none at all. Uh, that's why one of the reasons I hit Allentown last night, I had a conversation with Reese Hoskins before the game. I had a conversation with Dylan Cousins before the game. Because that's where they're hoping that some of the power will come from. Hoskins is an absolute hitting machine. He's going to be a star in, in the league. He's about to – at some time within the next month or two, I would think dislodge Tommy Joseph at first base. And, and mm. either that or Tommy Joseph is going to have to start hitting home runs the way he did last year. Because you, you, cannot, you cannot compete at the big league level without somebody in the middle of that lineup being a home run threat. Saunders is not going to be that guy. Joseph's not going to be that guy. I don't know who's going to Russ's not going to be that guy. They might, they might beat you to death with 20 home run guys. Like Galvis might hit 20 and, 
you know, it's a couple other guys, and Joseph might get you 20, maybe. Yeah, so, but but you you need more power. So you start with that pitching, then you then you then you look at at, at least Hoskins. Cousins really striking out a whole lot at, at Lehigh Valley. That's concerning. But you look at Hoskins, and then you look at you know, Herrera, Galvis, Hernandez. Maybe Franco, you know, continues to develop as a starter. And now the free agent market kind of opens up after 018, and John Middleton's got $3 billion, and he likes to have his name in the paper, and he likes to be in front, and he wants to spend, and he's recorded as saying, I'm going to make this team a world champion or I'm going to die trying. He's using, he's promising to use George Steinbrenner. I'm, I'm being loosely here, kind of uh, paraphrasing him, but he's kind of loosely referencing George Steinbrenner as, as the guy who wants to model himself after. And well, he should. Philadelphia is the number one monopoly market in baseball. You should be able to have all the money in the world to be able to dominate baseball when you have the number one largest monopoly market. It, 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 and, and, and Middleton knows it, and he's got $3 billion to spend, and there's going to be some free agents available. And when you, when you supplement that with that young pitching that they have, you can really see the light at the end of the tunnel. Hey, Jack, what do you think about Mikhail Franco? He, he's a mystery to me. Mm-hmm. You like him? I, I just, you know, know they, they're touting him as a superstar. I'm not seeing yeah, it. Yeah, myself included. My, I mean, again, myself included, I jumped on that bandwagon a couple of years ago. You know, when we all saw, wow, this guy's got a chance to be a superstar. Um, maybe I'm, a, I'm inclined to buff some. Maybe, I mean, I have, at one point I had him as a multiple-time MVP. That's what kind of talent I thought he had. Just a, a remarkable way, great defensive plays he made, the way the ball jumped off his back. We all saw it a couple of years ago. That's what he looked like. He's leveled off. Uh, maybe maybe uh, you surround him in a few years with, with better players and there's a little pressure comes off of him to be the superstar he is. Uh, but it's early enough in his career that, that you're at the position where you've got to judge, you've got to trust your own eyes. My eyes still say he's got the talent to be a very good player. And and he's got to show it. He's got to show it for not for games, not for months. He's got to show it for years. But yeah, I, yeah, I'll take I'll take I'll take the over on Michael Franco becoming a great player, We're Hall of Famer, superstar, multi-time MVP. I'll back off a hair. But as far as being a great player, yeah, I think he's going to be a very good, a multi-time All Star in the big leagues. I'll, I'll, I'll right. off from multi-MVP multi to multi-time All-Star. And I think the Phillies will take okay. that at this point. Jack, you so are a baseball writer's Hall of Fame voter. Yeah, I could be proven wrong. I mean, it could be great. It could be yeah. That's why I have him right now. Gotcha. Jack, as a baseball writer's Hall of Fame voter, I wanted to ask you, where do you stand on the steroid era, guys? Mm-hmm. Very, 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 uh, I, I'm very clear on it. I can't possibly care less about what somebody put in their body to make themselves a better baseball player, to better entertain moi, to better perform on game day. Where I, where I draw the line is baseball Hall of Fame. Everybody can do it their own way. I think there's 700 voters or something. I don't pick the Hall of Fame. I, I have one vote in the Hall of Fame. But the way I handle my vote, who do I vote against? Players who didn't try to win cocaine heads who might have been out there seeing pink elephants instead of giving fans what they're supposed to be uh, seeing. I made some, I made some uh, adjustments on that, too. I did vote for Tim Raines occasionally. So there's, there's times when I'll, I'll be a little bit more lenient. But uh, I, won't, I will never vote for Manny Ramirez, who quit on the Red Sox. Quit, underline quit on the Red Sox. Gary Sheffield, never. He, he, he was the one who once said, I will deliberately make an error just in order to irritate the official schooler in Milwaukee and uh, later on had to be demoted to the minor leagues for, quote, defensive indifference, for indifferent defense. There's a guy disrespected. I think he had 500 home runs. I might be mistaken on that. I don't care if he had 10,000 home runs. Disrespected the game. So Manny Ramirez disrespects the game. You know, the other guy, Sheffield, some other guy. I'm not voting for them. As far as somebody who decided I'm going, to, I'm going to bulk up and try to hit more home runs, try to win games, 
I'm, I, it doesn't bother me in the least. For the same reason it doesn't bother me in the least that Pete Rose bet on his team to win games. It's like, okay, trying to win. Is, is it, was it right? Could it, could it have been handled better? Of course. But you're asking me where I draw the line. I don't care about what vitamins somebody used to become a better baseball player. And by the same token, if his head explodes when he's 42 years old, don't come crying to me. I don't care. You're the one who did it. You're the one who did it. But, yep. but, but the question on the table is, how do I vote for the Hall of Fame? I'm not going to penalize a guy for trying to win. And that's, that's why I look at it. Very interesting. Hey, Jack, one more quick topic before we run out of time with you. Uh, you cover the Sixers. You do a lot of work with uh, with them. What do you think about the process? It's absurd. It's it's completely it's it's it's, uh, it's unprofessional and it's and it's not working. Um, it, it's 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 unfortunate. It really is. Now, the process has begun, so you're now at some point obligated to see it through. I'm not going to be one of those that's going to every day just matter about this is dumb, this is dumb, this is dumb. What I want to make clear is that these couple points. In order to run this process, they absolutely were required to surrender their professional dignity. You don't, you don't, you don't put together a 10-win basketball team with a straight face without surrendering your dignity. They did that. They surrendered their professionalism and their dignity. Okay, what is the payoff for that? What is the, the, the rate of exchange for surrendering your professional dignity? And I've written it a couple of times, and this is where I've drawn a line. You guys can just, I say you must, you must get to at least four Final Fours at some point coming. I mean, the Eastern Conference Final, you've got to get there four times, maybe at least one Finals. And you notice I don't require a championship. I, don't, I think that's unreasonable. A championship you're playing against some other team that's also good. You might get a bad whistle. You might get a bad injury. You might miss a foul shot. Okay, so I don't even put the, I don't even put the pressure on them to win a championship. But for that, the exchange of of being unprofessional, the way they were unprofessional, don't tell me that making the playoffs or or selling out the stadium or having fun. No, you better darn get to the Eastern Conference Finals four years out of five and soon. The problem is they've already the process was all four years, five years including the Andrew Bynum year. No, and you say, you know what? If, 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 if the average NBA career is ten years, that's half of somebody's career already. You're talking about Joel Embiid has played has essentially missed three years. He missed two, okay, let's say two and a half a year. He basically missed this year. That's that's thirty percent of a ten year career. This is thirty percent of the career gone already, and he, and he hasn't won yet anything. He hasn't gotten out of last. I guess he got them out, out of last place this year. But he, so the, the the to to try to to run a process and avoid injuries, avoid long term injuries. It, you can't do it. It, it. it can't. You can't beat the system. And they're going to try to beat the system. I tell you what, they think they're going to, if they think that Ben Simmons is the next LeBron James, boy, are they in for a rude shock? He's not that. <laughs> He's not Matthew Johnson, and he's not and he's not LeBron James. Okay, just so you know, you know who he is. He's Tony Kukoc, somebody like that. That's what you got with this guy, like a third star, and he can't even shoot at that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm not high on the process, and I hope I'm not coming off too negative tonight. I mean, I can't even mention I have loved the Phillies' young pitching. I mean, you, you, you think that the Michael Franco's got a chance, and. Certainly, some of the Sixers. I mean, I, 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 I actually like the way the Sixers this year played basketball. The process aside, they moved the ball. They they had a pretty much a positionless offense. You if you didn't like the way the TJ McConnell worked for you, there's something the matter with you. The guy was an absolute. Yep. Beast at, 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 on both ends trying to win games. You have to like Joel Embiid when he's healthy. You know, you had to love the defense of Robert Covington. I'm just, I mean, you have to love the way Brett Brown coaches. He's a very good basketball coach. So these are the things, these are things that, that are positives. But that's because they're trying, that was examples of guys trying to play basketball and coach basketball the right way not trying to just beat 
break the system on some kind of a cockeyed backdoor plan that's not that is not going to work. It's just not going to work. Awesome. Great stuff, Jack. Well, hey, Jack, I think we have used up all your time plus a little bit more that you gave us. So, uh, but we certainly enjoyed it, and uh, if we could do this again, it would be great. Well, it's my pleasure, fellas. Thank you for having me. All right, Jack. Thanks, thanks. Jack. Have a good night. Take care. This is another busy month at my favorite Irish pub. Here to tell us what's on tap over the next week or two at the Irish Rovers Station House in Langhorn is bar manager Chris Gaskill. Chris, I see you have a couple of big events on the schedule this weekend. Yeah, this is a big week for us. Cinco de Mayo is on Friday. It's the official opening of our patio. We'll have Modelo drafts for $4. We're bringing back our famous boozy buckets, 32 ounces full of your favorite liquor with straws and all kinds of goodness. Saturday is our Kentucky Derby party. Bring your best derby hat, and we'll have Stella pour it on tap. And don't forget, Mother's Day is May 14th. Make your reservations for a Mother's Day brunch now while the space is available. Sounds good. A lot going on at the Irish Rover Station House on Bellevue Avenue in Langhorn and on the web at irishroverstationhouse.com. Hey, Chad, you took in the NFL draft in Philly last week. Uh, you wrote about it on our phillypressboxradio.com website. Tell us about it. How was it? Oh, man. Well, you got to see some of it on TV, Bill, and I'm sure you heard what pretty much everyone who was there had to say about it, media folks, ex-athletes, and fans alike. It was a grand slam home run. Um, the city of Philadelphia just came up huge. The NFL working with them, of course, you know, did fantastic job. Plenty to see and do there. There were lots of photo ops with Super Bowl rings, headless player mannequins representing all 32 teams, the Lombardi Trophy, um, opportunities to do things like passing and field goal kicking, a zip line, celebrity sightings. We can talk about my crush on Cecily Tynan another time. Um, just a <laughs> tremendous event, though. A tremendous event that went as smoothly as you could possibly hope for, especially considering there were some 250,000 people there on the Ben Franklin Parkway over the course of the three-day event. Awesome, awesome three-day NFL draft experience. Well, hey, I was going to ask you if you lined Cecily up for uh, to be a guest at Philly Press Box Radio since uh, <laughs> I saw those pictures. No, a little too nervous to do that, but she is my hall pass, if you know what I'm saying. So if I can somehow arrange that, uh, who knows? Who knows? Yeah, who I, knows? Even saw, I even saw some Eagles and Cowboys fans making nice with one another, a couple of guys about our age, I think, who had just met, you know, one in a Cowboys jersey, one in a – Eagles jersey. I overheard them meeting and joking around, taking some selfies together. So, you know, everybody was real nice to one another. Of course, that was before the whole Drew Pearson thing at the podium that got everybody riled up later Friday night. Well, I I posted that article that, you know, that the Philadelphia police came out and said zero arrest. And to me, that is, you know, you put 200,000 or whatever the final number, 250, whatever the final number came out being, you put all them people in one place over a couple days especially in a competitive sports environment, like, say, everybody wearing their, their team colors and all that, to come out of that thing as clean as it did. And it's a great, great accomplishment by not only the city for doing a good job, but, but for the people, just, just doing a good job, go having a good time. Yeah, it was really a great experience. And, of course, you know, one thing you can't control is the weather, and they got really, really lucky with the weather. I mean, just on Tuesday and Wednesday, it was kind of cool and damp. There was some rain. And then by Thursday when the draft started, you know, the temperature got warmer. The sun came out. There was a little rain overnight Thursday night and overnight Friday night, but nothing during the actual event. So it just worked out perfectly. And like I said, you know, there were people from every team as far as the fan base there. You saw jerseys with, you know, people from Tampa Bay, the Minnesota Vikings, Raiders, of course, a lot of Steelers fans there, and uh, our division rivals, in addition to the Cowboys, the Giants and uh, Redskins. I saw a lot of those jerseys. But everybody just seemed to be getting along, you know, taking things in stride. So, it was great. And then you know, Saturday, I wasn't there, but I, I did see Brian Westbrook on TV. And if you didn't catch that, here's what Brian Westbrook had to say to get day three started. Welcome to Philadelphia, the home of the best fans in the country, in the best city in the country. If anybody from Dallas steps to this doggone podium, in my city, in my town, we're going to give him a true Philadelphia welcome. <laughs> Gotta love B. West, B. West, don't you? B. West running for mayor, is he? 
<laughs> he could, man. He, he's a popular guy. He and Dawkins were there. So, you know, that was great for the fans. Really got everybody all excited once again. Yep. Well, it sure came. As you know, I was busy over the weekend with the wedding and all that. So I, I didn't – I was in and out and in and out. But anything that they showed was just nothing but top-notch. And I did see the Eagles' first-round pick – and the announcers on the TV were just out of their mind about how excited the, the place was. And uh, the electric, I believe, was the word they kept using, that they'd never seen anything as electric as this. Yeah, so and there's already talk of them bringing it back next year. They did it with Chicago two years in a row. So it went so well, you know, they've got to consider it. And I understand they're going to make a decision sometime this summer as far as where things will happen next April. So we're hoping that it's right back in Philadelphia. And I'll tell you, if you're available, come on up for it, Bill, because it is awesome. All right. Sounds good. Hey, Chet, uh, you know we have a lot of listeners that are local golfers, and we've got a great chance to golf and help a great cause, and time is running out now. Yeah, that's right, Bill. Hit the links on Sunday, May 28th. We are into the month of May already. Can you believe that? So Sunday, May 28th, you can help the traumatic brain injury survivors from McGee Rehabilitation Hospital. The Golf 4 Jackie Tournament is located at Range and Golf Club. That's in Dillsburg, PA. If you don't know where that is, it's not too far from Harrisburg. Jackie, a TBI survivor himself, successfully rehabbed at McGee. Brian Propp did the same. For registration, sponsorship, or silent auction information, contact McGee Rehab. The number is 215-587-3145 or giving at mcgeerehab.org. All right. Still no word from Sullivan on that. I, I don't know where he's at yet. He's not pulling up the money. He is. Yep. Hey, we mentioned at the top of the show about surprises in the draft and how it went, and you, you hit on that briefly. Uh, were you surprised at the Eagles pick with as so many offensive guys went early and the, the rush on quarterbacks left a whole ton of talented defensive players on the board, but the Eagles seemed to you know get the guy they were after? Yeah, I'm fine with the Derek Barnett pick. And, you know, I trust Ray Diddy on this. Ray Diddy wanted Derek Barnett right from the get-go but didn't think he'd make it out of the top ten. So if Ray Diddy likes the pick, I'm okay with it. And how about uh, Jack McCaffrey? He is not too crazy about any of those first three picks. My goodness. Didn't really like Barnett going that high. Uh, Doesn't know if he's going to start right away. He's not crazy about drafting an injured player in the second round, Sidney Jones. And then you have Rasul Douglas, who they did draft in the third round as a cornerback, mainly because they know the round two guy won't play, according to Jack. So, yeah, Jack's not real optimistic about those uh, top guys by the Eagles. But we shall see what happens. You know, as so many people have said, if Sidney Jones does come back healthy, not necessarily this year, but for 2018, it is like getting, you know, a round one pick in the second round. And if he is 100% next year, keep in mind, he was the top-rated cornerback, according to most of the experts, before he got hurt on his pro day. So, Man, I hope he's healthy next year because they could certainly use the help in the secondary. And Russell Douglas, say what you want about the guy. He's got size at 6'2", 209. He led the nation with eight interceptions last year. He's supposedly not overly fast, and sometimes, you know, his coverage is questionable. But he seems to find the ball quite often if you have eight interceptions. So they need him. Let's face it. They need help at corner. So let's hope he can play. And then beyond that, I'm intrigued by this Donnell Pumphrey, the guy they got with their second, fourth-round pick. I know it's unfair to compare him to Darren Sproles, but he is one of those smaller guys. He's 5'8", maybe 5'9", 176. Sproles a little shorter, but also a little heftier. Um, Pumphrey's a guy you've got to keep an eye on. They could use help at running back. Maybe he's only a, you know, a third-down guy, whatever. But I'm intrigued by him. He, he was certainly durable, played all four years at San Diego State. So let's see what happens. And then the two receivers they got in round five, Shelton Gibson and oh, the other round four guy, actually, Mac Hollins, wide receiver out of North Carolina. Hopefully one of those guys can play. They're already touting Hollins as a real good special teams player, so it sounds like they're going to keep him on the team. And then we'll see what happens because, as you know, they have like 13 receivers on the roster. So there are going to have to be some guys getting cut at some point. Yeah, well, and I was going to bring that up. You know, they have 13, 13 wide receivers on the roster, five or six are staying. That's about it. And, yep. and you know, on Pumphrey's, you know, he's, he is a little bit small. Uh, but, you know, they had another back at San Diego State not all that awful long ago who turned out to be pretty good, some guy named Marshall Falk. 
Um, yeah. you know, he, he was pretty good out there at San Diego State. Uh, so we'll yep. see. And, and I'll tell you an interesting uh, free agent signing and that I, I'm interested to watch is that Corey Clements out of Wisconsin. Wisconsin. He's a South Jersey kid. Uh, he is a free agent signing by the Eagles. So he'll be in camp. He was a good college back, and I was really surprised that he uh, he wasn't selected. But what what I was going to throw at you with with the when the when the 14th pick came around, and Jonathan Allen was still on the board from Alabama as a defensive lineman. You know, coming into the season, he was the projected number one pick in the draft, and he only dropped appeared to drop to maybe second or third by you know most of the mock drafts. But when the quarterbacks went crazy, here he is still on the board at 14. Now, I think he's got some shoulder issues that might be might be a little bit of a yep. problem. But, um, you know, the Eagles passed him, and he fell a few more spots. That was a real the mystery of the draft to me. And, and you know, Reuben Foster kept on dropping, kept on dropping. And uh, John Lynch and the 49ers got, uh, got a heck of a football player right there. Yeah, the Niners had a real good draft. Uh, as far as Allen, I know he dropped maybe to fifth or sixth at the, in the last couple of um, mock drafts, but to see him fall down to you know, 14, 15, that was crazy. And it is just what you said, from what I understand, that there were concerns about his shoulder. Even though he seemed to play fine the entire season, they think it might be like a degenerative thing where it's not going to hold up. I don't know how you could even guess that at this point, but uh, – I'm sure the Eagles considered him, but they said afterward that they had all these scenarios going through their plans, and they said if it came to that, they wanted Barnett, and they got their man. And, you know, if you look at his numbers, they are fantastic. If you break Reggie White's sack numbers, you got to be pretty good. So I hope they're right on him. He seems like a great young kid, too. So 20 years old and healthy, we assume. So let's hope that Barnett is going to be a guy who can step in and play this year and be, you know, really, really good by year two or three. Well, hey, now that the NFL draft is over, it's time to focus on the NBA draft, which is coming up June the 22nd. But the draft lottery is May the 16th, less than two weeks away. And you had a chance to sit down, Chet, with uh, Liberty Ballers managing editor Jake Pavorsky to talk Sixers. Yeah, I did, Bill. Always good talking hoops with Jake and like me, we are looking forward to seeing what the ping-pong balls tell us in mid-May. So, you ready to hear from Jake? Go ahead. Very happy to be joined here on Philly Press Box Radio for the second time in just over two months by the managing editor at LibertyBallers.com, Jake Pavorsky. Jake, welcome back. Thank you, Chet. Appreciate it. All right, Jake, as we speak, we're less than two weeks from the all-important NBA draft lottery, which will be appointment TV, I guess, for all 76ers fans. Uh, what are the odds? What do you think the Sixers will end up with? One high pick, a couple of high picks maybe? What's going to happen? I know the most likely scenario is that they end up with the fifth pick. I believe that the likelihood of that happening is over 30%. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I know we'll all be sitting on pins and needles waiting. for them. There are many you know, different scenarios there with the Lakers pick and the possible pick swap with the, the Sacramento Kings. But I know it's, it's not nearly as likely with them just ending up with just the fifth pick overall. Right, but it is still like a 40% chance that the Lakers pick will fall out of the top three and would go to the Sixers, so we have something to root for at least, right? Yeah, I mean, there is definitely the, the opportunity there, and, you know, that would be greater. You know, you, you, the Sixers are one of the teams that pushes them out of the top three, and they end up with one and four. It, there, there are so many different scenarios there that could happen, and it would be great if it does. Uh, oh, yeah. Hopefully it does, and Sixers fans will uh, will be pleased like they were last year. Now, we talked a bit about these guys back on March 1st, but refresh my memory and give me the top four or five guys who would also be the best fits for the Sixers. Well, you look at March Fultz, the number one overall prospect in this class, far and away the most polished player in this class. So this was a guy who was playing JV basketball his sophomore year of high school, worked his way to be one of the top recruits in the nation, now be first overall pick, just a, a smooth operator with the ball in his hands, can score at all three levels. Uh, it stands at six three with a giant wingspan like six eight six nine, which is really impressive for a guard. And there's you know the, always the chance there's an eighteen nineteen year old kid that he still has another inch or two of growth in him, which would be phenomenal. Uh, he's smart by the best player. You can plug him in a point guard. You can plug him in next to Ben Simmons if he wants to play the point. He's he's a perfect fit for this team. Lonzo Ball is also another guy who would make a ton of sense as a secondary initiator next to Ben Simmons. Uh, had a great year at UCLA. Didn't finish that strong in the NCAA tournament. 
him, and, and De'Aaron Fox kind of torched him. Uh, his athleticism isn't one of his calling cards, and his defense isn't necessarily the best either. But he's also big, and he's rangy, and he shoots the three ball really well. It's awkward, but it works. I have no issues with his shot, and I think it'll translate to the NBA, at least when it comes to, to shooting, you know, catching two three-pointers. And a remarkable passer. Imagine him next to Ben Simmons, those two running the offense, initiating things. Those are two of the, the best players, probably going to be one and two in this draft. And then there's Josh Jackson from Kansas, who would still be a fit with the Sixers, but maybe to a lesser degree. The jumper's a bit of a concern. He finished shooting over 35% from three, uh, which is pretty good. That's, just, that's around the league average. And one guy who I, I don't know if a lot of people consider him the fourth best prospect, but I would, is Jonathan Isaac, Florida State. This is, you know, on a, a very deep team at Florida State who ran 12 guys deep. He never really got the opportunity to shine as that as primary guy like Markel or Lonzo Ball used to. But he is a, a three and D prospect through and through. With a, with a beautiful jumper. He's not nearly seven feet with like a seven three wingspan. He's, he's not nearly as polished as some of those other guys and isn't as polished as Jason Tatum is in, in terms of scoring. But I think if you give him a year or two and you let him fill out and put some weight on, uh, what you're going to have is a really dynamic two-way player. And the two guards from Kentucky aren't bad either. No, they're not. I like Malik Monk and De'Aaron Fox. I think if you look at De'Aaron, if, if you consider Ben Simmons to be the point guard or the man who's going to be handling the ball in the team the most, then I don't necessarily know how De'Aaron Fox is a fit because I think the jumper is as far and away the most questionable aspect of his game. He shot you know, well less than 30%. I think it was around 28% from three, which is, which is just atrocious. But again, if you you know talking about free throw shooting numbers, his free throw shooting numbers are fine. He was over 70%. So you talk about a guy with maybe a workable jumper, but at the same time, I think in terms of this system, and, and you have a guy who's going to be handling the ball for the most part in Ben Simmons, He's not necessarily the best fit, but he's super athletic. I kind of look at his baseline as like an Alfred Payton 2.0, which kind of sounds like uh, not a compliment, but it is. I think he can be everything that people thought Alfred was going to be and then more. And if he gets the jumper down, I think he can be that John Wall type player, super uh, electric. And then Malik Monk, who got off to an incredible start of the year, sort of faltered his way you know, through the rest of the season. But another dynamic scorer who can do a lot of damage with the ball in his hand or as a, you know, a catch-and-shoot guy off-ball. You can just see how he goes on Ron. He's absolutely electric. You saw what he did to UCLA when he went off for 47 points uh, at the beginning of the season. He's a guy who, who definitely kind of makes sense next to this team, or on this team, next to Ben Simmons. And I, I wouldn't mind that pick. I think if he's the only guy you come away with that night, I'm not necessarily as happy as I would have been in December or January. There are certainly roles for guys like that in this league, but there's you know a ceiling to those guys and their efficiency and, and, their, and their value in the league. And you know, look at him and he's, He's a 6'2", 6'3", with like a 6'3", wingspan, and he's a guy you're probably going to pigeonhole guarding point guards on defense. He doesn't really supply a ton on the defensive end. I'm not really sure if he's the best guy, but I, I do think he's a top-10 talent. Yeah, there's a lot of value to him as well. Is there anything new regarding the health of Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, and are you confident that both, and let's throw Robert Cummington in there too, are you confident all three will be at or near 100% by the fall? I imagine, I think Robert Covington is the surest thing. We're dealing with meniscus tears now, and so obviously the Sixers haven't had the best track record with meniscus tears, but this one seemed to be the most minor of all three cases out of him and Jaleel and, and Joel. And it, he was supposed to be doing weight-bearing activities two weeks after surgery. And yeah, I believe he's already off crutches, so he's and he's looks like he'll be fine. Ben Simmons, I, I think, is now that he's got you know the green light from the doctors, I think we'll see him go full blast, getting ready for the season. I think it's a long shot that he plays in summer league, but you look at these um, these Jones fractures; those are injuries that typically tend to to take away from uh, for a season, but they're never in, in the long history of, of Jones fractures in the NBA. They've never been severe enough to derail a player's career. And he's a fit young kid who, and if, if you believe the rumors that he was growing and that he's now almost you know six eleven, seven feet tall, that could certainly have played a role in the limits to his recovery earlier in the season and why he, he may not have been available to play January and February as anticipated. So I think he's going to be fine, and I think we'll be able to see him basically all 80, 82 games of the year. I don't think there's going to be any uh, you know minutes restrictions or anything once October comes around. And with Joel Embiid at this point, I guess you never really know what's going to happen with him. He's played a possible 31 out of 280-some games, 286 games over his three-year career. He's just had a slew of injuries, you know, go from back injury to foot injury to now knee injury. You kind of have to wonder if his body can just hold up with the wear and tear of an NBA season. And I think we'll never see him play 82 games in a year. I'm not even sure if we'll see him play 70. And I don't mind that. I think the only thing that matters with this team going forward is that you're able to play basketball in April, May, and June. Uh, and I believe that if you have to limit him and he doesn't play back-to-back games and, you know, you want to rest him every once in a while and you target 60 to 65 games a year for him to play, I, I think that's okay. And if you have to handle him with sitting gloves, it's, you have to look at his, the longevity of his career now because you know he can be that franchise cornerstone and you want to do everything you can to protect him. 
But at this point, it's up in the air. I don't, I don't know how long he's going to last in this league. And uh, it's, it's something that the Sixers are definitely wary about. And so am I. Speaking of the wounded, how about Jared Bayless? Will he and Simmons be the two guys getting the most playing time at guard next season? Yes, yeah, so that seems like it's, uh, when Brett Brown spoke at the end of the season, it seemed like Jared Bayless will technically be your point guard, but Ben Simmons will be out there as well. I think Bayless is a perfect fit, and it's a shame that both him and Simmons didn't really get to you know form a connection last year because Bayless played with a, a player very similar to Ben Simmons when he was in Milwaukee two years ago in Giannis Antetokounmpo. As when Bayless was there, Giannis started handling the ball a little more. They would have Bayless play off ball, and he was a fantastic catch-and-shoot uh, three-point guy, had his, had his best three-point shooting season of his career shooting over 40%. But he's, he's going to be a good veteran presence to have on the floor, to have him with Ben, if, you know, if need be. But I think if you look at his three-point shooting, it's going to be the biggest asset and the biggest thing that he'll capitalize off of uh, when he's on the floor with Ben. Two more questions, Jake. Uh, what the heck happens with Jalil Okafor? I, I wish I knew. I, <laughs> I really wish that they, they decided in February that they were just going to you know cut their losses and move, move him for a top-20 protected pick in Tyreek Evans, whatever the offer, the supposed offer on the table was. I think we, we know at this point that he's just not a fit for this team. He doesn't do much to make this team better. And, you know, Brian Colangelo said we're not going to make a bad deal with Jalil before we're going to, you know, wait until we get what we think is worthy of, you know, an offer for a former top three pick, which I, I just don't think is, you know, a great way to look at the situation. I think that having him on this team is really only hurting you because it was taking away minutes from Rashawn Holmes, who at this point I think we know is clearly a better player. And you're supposed to spend the last 20, 25 games of the season showcasing Julia. Well, he can't even get on the floor because his knee is still bothering him from a meniscus surgery he had a year ago. So I, I don't see where they're going to get a better offer now that they weren't getting in February, which makes me think that they're just going to go through the summer and he'll simply be on the Sixers come the fall, which I don't think helps anybody. But if Colangelo wants to be stubborn and, you know, not part ways with Julio at a, a fraction of what they, you know, paid for him and what they think he could be worth, then it, it, you're going to have a stalemate here. But I, I think the best thing you can do is to just get what you can. If you can get LA first, just do it, part ways with him, allow Rashawn to step into that backup role, and I think everyone would be happier for it. Yeah, I'm with you. Hey, Jake, when we talked two months ago, you still liked Joel Embiid over Dario Saric for Rookie of the Year and said Milwaukee's Malcolm Brogdon also had a good shot. Have you come around yet to my thinking that Saric should win it? Uh, no, I have not. <laughs> I, I think I know Joel only played 31 games, and I'm aware that you know people are going to hold that against him. But what he did in those 31 games was absolutely unbelievable. I mean, there is nobody – You look at rookies in the league nowadays. Nobody makes an impact like he did uh, right out of the gate, you know, for opening night any time he played. He was setting rookie records. Nobody's averaging 18 and 8 and shooting over 35% from three. You can see the transcendent player there. And I, I don't think Dario or Brogdon really did enough throughout their seasons as a whole to really justify taking an award from a, a player who I think is, is transcendent, has shown a transcendent talent, and, and really carried that team. The Sixers were, I believe it was like their record when he was on the floor as opposed to when he was not was, was just so different. There was a wide margin in terms of the, the win-loss column there. You could see that he was by far the their most valuable player, the one who made the most impact on the floor anytime he was on the floor, and, and so much more so than Dario or Malcolm, basically, you know, throughout most of their season. I, I think they need to recognize his talent and, and recognize the fact that, you know, it was impressive that he was able to get on the court in general after dealing with what he was dealing with over the past couple of years. I think they, he needs to be rewarded with the rookie of the year. Yep, it's just the games issue for me, Jake, so we'll agree to disagree on that one. And, uh, Fair enough. <laughs> Jake Pavorsky, let's make sure everybody follows you on Twitter and checks out libertyballers.com. And terrific job, Jake. We will talk, I'm sure, once again further down the road. Sounds good, Chad. Thank you. Okay, there you have it, that uh, Jake Pavorsky and me. Sorry, Bill, I had forgot to turn your mic back on. So uh, what do you think of what Jake had to say? Oh, well, uh, good stuff as always, and uh, Jake's got a pretty good, a real good handle on things. But I wanted to throw back at you two, the last two days we posted on the website two articles that I thought were interesting. And today's was by Keith Pompey, where he says that uh, the Sixers need much more than lottery picks. And then yesterday, John Smallwood wrote an article that basically said they need to be looking at some eliminated playoff veterans that they can bring in that can help get this thing going. Uh, is that against the process? I don't know, but I think Jack alluded to this. I think the process is pretty much done now. Now it's just getting all the guys that can play and start to win this year. So 
if it's guys that are, you know, on another team right now, fine. If it's, you know, two draft picks this year that can play, fine. They have another guy over Turkey who's probably not going to come over this year, but next year, Furkan something or other. Um, so he'll be another guy to keep an eye on a year from now. But I don't know that they need to add a whole lot beyond the guys they're going to get in this year's draft. Um, if they can get one stellar free agent, they'll be loaded. And then it's just hoping everybody is healthy come October, you know? Well, I think the the thing that is puzzling is what kind of uh, experience are you going to have? Can you can you survive in this league with everybody being 25, well, I'll call them 25 or younger year old multimillionaires? Um does somebody have to hold down the fort? Well, I guess so. And I mean these guys, I think a lot of these guys are going to be here for a while and grow together. I mean Assuming, and yeah, it's an assumption, assuming Embiid and Simmons and Sarich stay healthy, you know, the goal, I think, would be to keep these guys together for the next seven, eight years and see how many playoff appearances you can have and how many shots that maybe going to the NBA Finals you might have. And don't think that's out of the question because I do think that they have a lot of talent, and if these guys are healthy, they're going to get better and better over the next couple of years. I mean, Jack may be right. Simmons might not be another Magic Johnson. So let's not get our hopes up about Ben Simmons, especially after, you know, not playing for the past year. But I think he's a good player, and he's certainly a great passer. And I'm excited about what next year and then the year after that is going to bring. I think the process, as we know it, is pretty much over. And now it's just getting these guys together, on the court together, and starting to win some ball games. Well, I, th- I, I hope you're right. I hope you're right. But I, I tell you, when you look at the roster and you look at the guys that are probably still going to be here, uh, Robert Covington is the oldest at 26 years old. The rest, 23, 20, 23. McConnell is 25 if he's still going to be here. Um, there, there are a lot of awful young kids. And now, and the other thing I think is interesting now is, you know, and I, and I was not a fan uh, of him the way Brett Brown coached early on. This year, he had them playing defense. Remember I kept saying about how I didn't like how they'd never played defense. This year, they played much yeah. better defense, and they got a, got a lot out of these kids, and uh, and they played well. As I said, I, I liked the, the way they played. They just weren't quite good enough. So, uh, you know, Brett Brown gets his kudos. He's getting them from all over the place, but I'm with you. It's time. It's, you know, we waited far too long. Oh, it's time. I just hope they figure out what the heck they're going to do with Okafor, as Jake and I discussed, because he just doesn't fit. And I don't know where he's going to go, but he doesn't belong on this team. Yeah, well, and you can't give him away. you got to do something with him, no. but uh, you can't give him away. All right, good stuff. Uh, good interview with Jake. As always, uh, Jake. Jake's on top of things for the young fella. He sure knows his hoops. He does. All right, hey. Hey, Chet, let's thank, uh, again, thank everyone that visits the uh, website, phillypressboxradio.com. We continue to keep it updated with articles from the local papers, a few that we write, and you can listen to all our shows and also the Vimeos from our guests, uh, show's guests. We even have a photo section where you can see us with many of the players and local celebrities. And, Chet, there's a whole ton of uh, Tesco selfies in there as well. <laughs> Most of them are not selfies, by the way. Well, there are selfies with you and another selfie, but you're in them, you know. Mostly. <laughs> They're not all selfies. <laughs> and you can also check out our sponsors, the Irish Rover Station House, Lou LaRoe, Taylor, and Heather, and Bob Sullivan's LikeYourAge.com. Just go to our website, phillypressboxradio.com, and click on each of their displays to transfer to their websites. Yeah, and that pretty much now, covers it. Check it out daily. On the, on the, go, go ahead and defend yourself on the selfies. <laughs> I'm saying they're not most of those pictures on our website were taken by somebody else. There are a couple where, you know, it had to be a double selfie because there was nobody else around. So that's the way it is, but I know you want to ask me more about Cecily Tyne. I've I've had a little crush on Cecily for a long time and uh I met her twice back in 2004, so it was great to see her again this year. Shockingly, she she did not remember meeting me 13 years ago. Can you believe that? <laughs> I find that hard to believe. <laughs> Hard to believe. <laughs> anyway, oh, check out our geez. website, phillypressboxradio.com. Great stuff all the time. Good deal. Hey, you should have told her with a face for radio like you have, who would ever forget? <laughs> yeah.
Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Hey, Chad, I know you have another surprise for me and the listeners. Tell us who's lined up for next week. Well, it's not really a surprise for you this time, Bill, because we both did our share to make this one happen, and we are pretty excited about next week's show. We have a first-timer with us, and if I'm not mistaken, he is our third or fourth former Philly. He's a key member of the 2008 World Champion Phillies, in fact. He played eight of his 12 Major League seasons with the Phils, finishing his career with 97 victories before retiring in 2013. These days, he is, yes, singing country music. If that's not the giveaway, well, I'll just tell you. We have Brett Myers joining us next week. Brett Myers. And because Brett is a musician now, we actually have a second musician coming on for a cameo appearance, a singer-songwriter who you may not know, Bill, but he is a real favorite of mine, and he'll talk about his new album plus a little baseball. He's got a great baseball story that you're going to like, and his take on Philly fans, a singer by the name of Willie Nile. So Willie and Brett Myers on the show next week. Very good. And and what is, uh, do you recall right off the top of your head, what is Brett's uh, band's name? I, I think it's just the Brett Myers band. I could be wrong, but I, I can't wait to talk to him about his uh, his time with the Phils, of course, but also his new career and songs like Beer Nation, or no, Beer Vacation. Beercation, that's what it is. Beercation and Weekend Redneck. And, and actually, I'll tell you what, Beercation is a pretty pretty good song to listen to. It's a lot it is. Of fun. I've heard it. It is good. It is good. <laughs> I, I listen to it as well. Yeah, you can. Uh, Brett has several albums out. I know he's got an album out called Backwoods Rebel. Is, uh, is yeah, one of he's, a, he's a good one singer. Of his albums that he's got out. Yeah. Good singer. Yeah, so that'd be good. That'd be a lot of fun. We'll talk a little baseball. We'll talk a little music. It'd be all right. Yep. Okay, Mr. Tesco, we're running out of time. Do you have a parting shot, sir? Oh, yeah. As you know, Bill, I am a big fan of television, and I hate it when a favorite show ends its run. Last week, the psycho prequel Bates Motel had its series finale, capping a great five-year run. And this coming weekend, ESPN's long-running Sunday morning panel discussion program, The Sports Reporters, will air its final show. I know a lot of folks have soured on ESPN in recent years, and that's in large part why the network laid off some 100 workers last week, including dozens of on-air personalities. But the quality of the sports reporters, in my opinion, never wavered. The show began in 1988 and was hosted from 89 through 2001 by the late Dick Schapp, and then in recent years by John Saunders, whom we lost last summer. Now, critics will say the show's panelists were a bunch of cranky old farts, Bob Ryan, Mitch Album, William C. Roden, recent host Mike Lupa, etc. But I'll tell you, I thought it was consistently informative and entertaining, unlike some of the other ESPN shows where guys just like to argue and interrupt one another constantly. And, gee, I wonder how we came up with the idea for a parting shots segment on our show. The Sports Reporters with a nice cup of coffee was a Sunday morning ritual for me, and it'll be greatly missed. Very good. And I, I will have to say I was a fan as well. Dick Schaap I absolutely loved. John Saunders I really liked as well. Uh, Mike Lupica was the end of the run for, for Bill Furman. So not a fan, not yeah. ever going to be a fan. Yeah, he he wasn't everybody's cup of tea, but oh well. That's right. All right, my parting shot, Chad, is a brief one. And it's another concussion for Sydney, or should I say Cindy Crosby, made me search my soul a little bit. I can't stand him, but I want him to play and lose. Hockey is a better game with Crosby in it, whether you're rooting for him or against him. The same can be said for Tom Brady. Football is better with Brady being part of it. Youngsters will tell their kids and grandkids about the magic they saw from him in Super Bowl 51. Then there's the case of Chase Utley. It was tough watching him this past series against the Phillies. The 38-year-old Utley is hitting 114 with more errors, two, than RBIs, one. It happens all the time to players trying to stick around longer than they should before Father Time takes them away. For Chase, a Phillies hero forever, that time has come. Mm, good stuff. And, yeah, I'm with you on Crosby. You know, you hate to see a guy get hurt, even a guy as hated as, you know, Crosby. I want to see him out there playing because he's, he is an exciting player to watch. Absolutely. So is Brady, by the way. Yeah, he's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. All right, Chet, <laughs> we are at the top of the hour, and it has flown by again. So let's thank our special guest, Jack McCaffrey, Jake Pavorsky, Irish Rover Station House, Lula Road, Taylor and Heather, and Bob Sullivan's LikeYourAge.com for their continued support of the show. 
For Jim Chachesco, this is Bill Furman. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll join Philly Press Box Radio next Wednesday, May 10th at 7 p.m. with Brett Myers and Willie Nile. Willie Nile joins us. You can listen through our website, phillypressboxradio.com, our Facebook page, or on the Internet at www.blogtalkradio.com slash phillypressboxradio, or on iTunes, Stitcher, and now tune in. Radio. High hopes, Philadelphia sports fans. High hopes, he has a-